We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor. Send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network, grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right, enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support. Hello and welcome to the Eurostep episode 19. I'm Kane Pittman and I am not joined by Ty Windish tonight, who is busy with work commitments, but for the first time in the Eurostep 19 episode history, we have a guest and it is a guest from Boston, John Corrales, who is on the Boston Beat uh, with Mass Live and he joins us to give us a different perspective, a Celtics perspective. So how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm your first guest. First guest ever. I don't want to like, I didn't want to wow. put pressure on you or anything like that, but you're the first guest we've had. I can't handle this pressure. I got to go. <laughs> Well, that would be a pretty disappointing first guest, and we might not go, <laughs> we might not go back to another guest if that's all we have. But, John, we want to, I want to get right into this. Obviously, the Bucks and the Celtics, this is a rematch of last year, although there's not, there is a lot of differences from last year. But for you in particular, I want to ask, given that you've been around this Celtics team all season, from the outside, there's, a lot of, there's been a lot of speculation, a lot of talk about this Celtics team. The, the chemistry issues, I guess, or uh, whether or not this Celtics team is going to figure it out. And by figure it out, I mean, uh, you know, the early preseason expectations that they were going to win 60 games. So what have you experienced from being on the beat and have the Celtics finally figured it out? Well, the um, boy, there's a lot there. Uh, <laughs> so this season has been a very interesting season. I didn't know 
what this was going to turn into once it was pretty clear that the Celtics weren't going to be what we thought they were. Um, and I guess coming in, we should have seen it coming a little bit more than, uh, and it, it's an interesting lesson to learn that, uh, this it's, it's difficult for this combination, this, this amount of young talent to coalesce. And it's, it was, what I've learned is that having those two guys like Tatum and Brown and Terry Rozier having that success last year, getting to within really one bad shooting quarter of the NBA finals, uh, just adding two good players to that two players that are better than all of those guys right now um, in Kyrie. And eventually uh, Gordon Hayward would be better than those guys. Um, just adding that is just, it's not just like, okay, go back to your other roles and, Everybody's going to be happy. La 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 la. Like that. That's just not the case. So it took a long time for these guys to start to figure some things out. And and that's what I mean by a long time, like 70 games for them to start to say, okay, we've got to, we've got to just put this together and put a, put aside some of the um, individual things. And, and they basically spent most of the season going off individual talent tangents when they had games seemingly in hand. I mean, they, there's probably off, off the top of my head, five or six games that they could have won. They should have won. They had uh, double digit leads late in, in all of these. And so instead of finishing with 49 wins, they could have finished with 54, 55 wins. And that would have made them the three seed. And would have put pressure. Who, who knows what what could have been different? Um, there could have been pressure for them to to get to the two seed there. So anyway, in the playoffs, what what I've seen is a and it's only been four games, and it's against the Indiana Pacers, and obviously they didn't have Oladipo, but they are still a very very good defensive team. I saw a team that put aside a lot of the individual pursuits. And was at least much better at working together as a team to overcome other teams' runs. So, or the, the Pacers' runs. The Pacers would go on a 10 point run, 12 point run, and Boston would answer rather than some of the 25 point, 26 point, 27 point runs that they would give up in, in earlier in the season, like the, the Charlotte game where they were up 20 whatever with seven minutes to go and, and just letting it all just come crashing to a halt. So there is a, um, there is an attitude that the stuff that they were doing during the regular season just doesn't fly anymore. There is an understanding that uh, if they're going to win, they're going to have to do things differently. And I think one of the things that they both, they all understand is if we lose early, then we all look bad. So whatever it takes to win, like winning in the playoffs is what everybody remembers. So when Terry Rozier's free agency comes around, well, if he's the guy that can buckle down and help a team win in the playoffs, then you can over overlook the regular season and say, hey, he was in a tough spot. But when push came to shove, look at what he did. And, you know, 
that that could earn him a, a ton of money. So, or more money than it looked like he was going to earn at least through the middle of the regular season. So I, I do see improvement. I don't know if it's enough improvement to get past Milwaukee. I think they have the right matchups. And if they continue to improve and continue to put the team first and, and just try to continuously make, as Brad Stevens says, the next right play, if they can do that, then they, they will make a very, uh, they'll make this a very good series. Yeah. So that's interesting. And this is something that I was talking about today at box practice was that one of the things that I'm really intrigued by with this series is how does either team respond uh, under adversity and the Celtics for, for that reason, as you said, do they separate if they, so if the Bucks win the first two games, do the Celtics start to fracture a little bit and go their own way, or do they stay together? If the Celtics are able to pinch one of these first games, uh, or maybe both, then how do the Bucks respond? Because the Bucks have not lost a lot of games this year, and they haven't, certainly haven't lost back-to-back games, and they haven't lost a lot at home. So I, I think that's a very interesting aspect. But you touched on the defense, and if you're coming up against Milwaukee, obviously Giannis is the focal point. So what do you see... Uh, I mean, there's a lot of talk out there, and and <laughs> Semi Ojale is a guy that a lot of people want to talk about, especially Celtics fans on Twitter. They talk a lot about Semi Ojale, but you expect Horford's going to get a lot of time on Giannis. Perhaps uh, Morris at times will get him. But how do you how do, how are the Celtics going to go about stopping Giannis? And uh, you know, is Horford the guy that they're primarily going to throw at him, as we've seen in the past? Well, stopping Giannis, nobody's going to stop him, right? <laughs> uh, they they are going to employ a, a number of different approaches. Uh, I think the first thing you're going to see is maybe some Marcus Morris trying to at least be the front line defender. Um, I don't know that they want. Horford being the guy right away. They might, they might, but the, they have to be very careful about what they're subjecting Horford to when they're, when they're putting him on Giannis, a couple of early fouls on Horford. And then that game is a loss. You you just, the Celtics cannot beat the bucks. I don't think without Al Horford. And it's just because Horford is the most unique matchup for for this series. He's the guy that changes what the Bucks do the most. Uh, you can put Bledsoe on Kyrie and and say, go ahead and be you know be the bulldog, body him, and and that's kind of the defensive uh, uh, job that he's done all season, right? The what the Bucks haven't done well is guard a pick and pop center like Horford, and no one does it like Horford does. He's he's just really really good. Like Jokic can pop, and but he doesn't shoot as well as Horford. He passes better than Horford, but Horford's pretty close, and Horford puts the ball on the floor and can drive just a, a, a tiny bit better, um, in my opinion. So. Uh, I think what the Celtics will try to do defensively is just to kind of throw waves of people at him. So once you're beat, like Marcus Morris starts on Giannis, once you're beat, the next guy steps up and you run back and help and pick up that, it's a switch and go back and switch. And once the next guy gets beat, then it's another switch and you go back and help out. And there's to be a constant switching, helping 
you know, and, and trying to block off his, um, his lane to the rim. Picture this picture water running downhill and you're trying to stop water running downhill with a bunch of two by fours and you, you, you don't have one two by four that's going to stop it. But if you place three or four of the two by fours in this, in the right kind of sequence, you can direct that water off to the side and just have it be less of a threat to whatever's at the bottom of the hill. You know what I mean? That's yeah. kind of what the Celtics are going to be trying to do defensively. You're not going to stop that water from running downhill. You're not going to stop Giannis from getting down there. And, and some of that water is going to make it no matter what. But yeah. what you're trying to do is avoid the flood of what Giannis brings. And, and I think the waves, whether it's the switching thing that I said, whether it's fouling, whether it's zone, they're going to throw a lot of these different looks trying to minimize Giannis as best they can. And really the, the biggest emphasis I think is to keep Giannis as far away from the paint as they can and minimize his passing ability. It's one thing for him to go get 30 points and 10 rebounds. If you add nine assists to that, then the Celtics are screwed. Yeah. And I think a big part of that, and this is something that we're seeing a lot with the Bucks this year the Giannis has become such a good passer and distributor and understanding uh, how he can manipulate defense, where his body is on the floor and finding these shooters, which is a, a lot different from last year. Giannis actually knows where these shooters are going to be. So I think you're right. I think that's going to be interesting. And uh, also, when you when you look at this, this again, which is what we saw last year, the Bucks were unable to make a shot on the road uh, outside of Chris Middleton and Giannis. So... That's going to be a big thing. But you touched on Horford. I think this is a matchup that a lot of people are talking about. So uh, on our last episode of the Eurostep, I, I went through basically every single st stat for Al Horford. And when they play the Bucks, everything goes up. Usage goes up. Obviously, he's had more assists as a result of that. His three-point attempts go up. His field goal attempts go up. Everything goes up. They run a lot of stuff through, through him. And I, as the week's gone on, I've been trying to think how much of that is Brad Stevens, understanding that this is potentially a way you can – uh, manipulate this Bucks defense, this pick and roll defense that they use, and how much of that is Bud saying, well, we have to pick someone that, I mean, we can't defend everyone. The Celtics have got too many guys. If Al Horford's the guy that they want with the ball in his hand, shooting a lot of threes, then we're going to live with that. I, how do you see Al Horford's role on offense, and what, what, how is he going to be able to get on top of this Bucks team? Well, I would expect the, um, I would expect the Bucks to start with the the defense that has worked for them all year long. And that's, we're going to put Brooke on Al Horford. And when Al goes to set the pick for Kyrie Irving, we're going to have Bledsoe chase over the top. We're going to drop Brooke down and prevent that penetration to the rim. And if it becomes a pick and pop, then so be it. Uh, they may try to anticipate that pass and have somebody on that weak side try to blitz up and take and, and kind of get in that passing lane. Um, especially if you can, if you can shift the, if you can shift Kyrie Irving's path away, further away from rather than, you know, trying to make sure rather than dropping down in the middle of the lane and just seeing, uh, keeping him from getting too deep, you angle and kind of, instead of dropping necessarily, you're almost kind of pushing him further away 
So let's say you're pushing him to the left side of the floor and hoping that maybe you can entice a jump pass to the other side and a guy on the weak side can jump up and, and try to steal that pass. I mean, that could be one of the strategies rather than just dropping straight down. Uh, that would be, I think, from a defensive stand- standpoint, something the Bucks could look at. Uh, Al Horford specifically, if they if they do that, they they I would say that they would probably see how hot Al Horford is from three to start. Um, and if he if he burns them with a couple of early threes, so be it. Um, then you adjust, and then maybe what you do is you don't drop Brooke Lopez down as far. You you have him drop and then somebody else on that on that strong side comes over and helps and Lopez bolts to Al Horford a little bit more quickly um, and then tries to challenge that shot a little bit more. Uh, it's it's gonna be whatever they decide to do, it's gonna be very difficult because Kyrie is very well aware. Uh, he's a very good passer. He knows what he can read what defenses are doing. Al Horford can read what defenses are doing. So they can be in a position where they'll they'll know where to go. They can smell the trap coming. Even if it works once, it works once. Then they'll understand like, okay, this is what they're doing, and we're going to, you know, do X Y Z to to kind of get away from it. Uh, I don't think it's going to be very easy to defend Al Horford. I think. If even if Brooke Lopez runs towards him and runs him off the line, then Horford is excellent at putting the ball on the floor, driving, and then either finishing at the rim or driving and kicking. And if Al Horford's going in for a, a dunk, somebody's going to be sucked in by the gravity of the ball getting close to the rim, and he'll be able to kick it out for a three. So uh, they're going to have to get creative when it comes to guarding Al Horford. I, I don't know what the answer is. There, there are certainly answers that very smart NBA head coaches and staffs can come up with that I, as just a podcaster and writer, probably can't think of until I see it and I go, oh, geez, I I feel like I should have thought of that. But uh, right now, off the top of my head, I feel like the, the Horford matchup on Lopez is a significantly important one. And not just because I expect Al Horford to drop 25 points and eight assists, which if he does, that'd be, that'd be huge. But if Brooke Lopez is, for lack of a better term, played off the floor, then it changes how Giannis is used defensively. And it changes how the rest of the team is used defensively. And it becomes the first major adjustment that a team has to make because the Celtics don't have to make a major adjustment to get that to happen. All they have to do is start, Marcus Morris rather than Aaron Baines. And that's something they've done for half of the season anyway, more than half the season. So it's not like they're not used to having Marcus Morris in the starting lineup. So if, if Al Horford could win that matchup, that, that presents a significant adjustment that the Bucks will have to make. Yeah, no question. I think, and this has been all week at Bucks practice, every single player that's come up, whether it's Chris Middleton, whether it's Giannis, Bud himself, Brooke Lopez himself, this has been the question because I think earlier in the season, a lot of people were wondering if Brook Lopez is a guy that you can play in the playoffs. Now, we've seen through the whole year, obviously the Bucs had the number one defense. Lopez has been put through every single uh, you know, uh, scheme or position that you could think that he could have been put through from the opposition because this is a, a thought that 
uh, Lopez's weakness in, in this drop scheme. If you have a, a center that can pick and pop, and not only pick and pop, but pass the ball as well as Al Horford does. Al Horford is, uh, you know, incredibly unique in that situation. I think this is going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. And I agree but, with you. If Horford I, gets on top of the box, it's, it's, it's danger time. Look, I will also say that it's very plausible that the Bucks will say, fine, Al, go ahead. You want to shoot all those three? Go ahead. If I'm from a Bucks perspective saying, well, what are, what are our alternatives? You stay home on the shooters, on the other guys. So Tatum, Brown, Morris in this situation. You force Kyrie Irving to be a passer, and Al Horford's taking all the shots. Okay, so you risk, you risk a 30-point game from Al Horford. But if you're if you're getting that and you're still staying home in those other guys and you've taken you've made sure that Kyrie is not in any sort of rhythm, that that could be the strategy. It could just very simply be, Brooke, go do your thing. If you get burned, you get burned. Everyone else stay home. Let's not have Kyrie beat us. Let's not have Jason Tatum beat us because the formula for beating the anybody for the Celtics is Kyrie goes off, Al Horford goes off. In, in a supporting role as the second option and also as a passer. And then a third guy, and it's been different third guys, Hayward, Tatum, Brown, Morris, all of those guys took turns in the first round. A third guy steps in and is the, is the third threat. And that's how the Celtics beat teams. If you take away one of those things by eliminating Al Horford's passing and you – try to minimize the other Kyrie Irving scoring by making him a much more willing passer, then then you see. Then you roll the dice and you see where you are in the fourth quarter. Absolutely. And this is this is very, very simple, uh, a very simple theory of mine. But when you look at that, as you said, it may be the Bucks do let Al Horford beat them because at the end of the day, if the ball's in Al Horford's hands, at least it's not in Kyrie's, okay? And this is like this is what I said, that at some point with teams as, good, as deep as the Celtics with as much talent as the Celtics, you need to make a decision, and maybe that's the decision they make. So I go back to the first game where the Celtics won. They broke the franchise, franchise record for threes. Horford took 11 threes. He only hit four of those, but he took 11. And I think the Bucks would be fine with him shooting 11 threes a game. Of course, if he's scorching the nets, then that changes things. But it's going to be really interesting to see. But just, I know we're a little pressed for time. I've got one more question. X factor for the Celtics. I think a lot of people from the outside are looking at Gordon Hayward. He's shooting 40% from three in April, 18 points, uh, five rebounds, three assists. Is he the guy that can swing this series? And what have you seen from him uh, as he's sort of grown through the year? Yeah, I think the consensus is Hayward for a good reason because he's the guy that they they haven't really seen this year. Right. They, 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 he's played, what, twice? He didn't play in the last one. So obviously there's plenty of game film. It's not like it's a shock that Gordon Hayward comes out there and plays even if it's the best game of his season. No one's going to sit there and be like, oh, my God, I didn't see this yeah. coming right. because we've seen him progress to that point. Still – He's a guy that another guy you have to account for. And while he's not a hundred percent all-star Gordon Hayward from Utah, he's close enough where he's such a threat that it, it does put a lot of pressure on the Milwaukee Bucks uh, and, and the Milwaukee Bucks bench. So he can definitely be an X factor in this. I mean, really the strength of the Celtics is on any given night, a different guy can be the X factor. And so Hayward for sure is 
a very strong candidate for this because he's going to be coming off the bench. He's going to be a, a, a ball handler that if they, they pair him with Kyrie, then you'll start to see a lot of Kyrie off ball. And that changes the entire dynamic of how the team is, is defended because if, if they start Marcus Morris for five minutes and then they bring Gordon Hayward in, well then, okay, you just run your pick and roll coverage. You run your pick and roll with Hayward and now you've got Kyrie off the ball. And now, now you've got to worry about tons of screens and flex cuts and, you know, the, the, the Ray Allen type of offense, the Rick, Rip Hamilton type of offense that I'm sure that you're, you're not really 100% prepared to, to try and do. It's a different kind of defense that against that than against the standard pick and roll. So the Celtics do have that sort of kind of wild card that, that, that Trump card that they could play, but it's also very possible that Jason Tatum is a, a strong wild card here because he has spent a lot of time attacking the rim lately, uh, more so than he did at the beginning of the year. And if they get it into Jason Tatum's head, if this whole week, and they wouldn't tip their hand on this, but if the Celtics entire week is Tatum, get the ball and, and attack, just go put pressure on the rim, draw those fouls if you can and, and see if you can, get one of these guys if if Horford is pulling Lopez away from the rim and there are rotations and Tatum can get past his defender on the wing well now he's going to challenge Giannis and if I'm a coach I say you know what go and try and dunk on him and you'll probably get blocked two or three times but you might also draw two or three fouls and getting Giannis into foul trouble which is not unheard of would be the best way to defend him so there could be, it could just be a Tatum, you're excellent at getting to the rim when you want to get to the rim. You do that as often as possible. Try to put pressure on Giannis to defend you without fouling and see if you can't like swing a game in this series by making sure that Giannis is sitting on the bench for much longer than you want because he's got two or three early fouls. So X factors could be all over the place for the Celtics. I totally agree. And I, Gordon Hayward is the easy option because Typically, you don't have a guy uh, with those sort of credentials, all-star credentials, just sitting on the bench. Like you might, right. have, you might have a strong bench, but uh, not a guy to that level. So that, that's something the Bucks haven't seen him playing as well as he has just recently. So that's he's a guy that I've I'm definitely got my eye on. But as you mentioned, when you have the two guys that everyone's talking about, Kyrie Irving and Al Horford, then maybe you forget about Jason Tatum, or maybe you forget about Jalen Brown, a guy who had a great playoffs last year, as we spoke about. So. Uh, there's so many guys on both teams. Both teams are super deep. The Bucks, in particular, their, their bench has been so good all year, particularly defensively. George Hill's a guy who's uh, just had, if you look purely at the box score and the plus-minus, his minutes have been unbelievable against the Celtics. So there's so many guys. That, there's so many things to talk about. But, John, you were the first guest we had, and I'm glad you did not hang up when you, when you heard <laughs> I'm glad you stuck around. Thanks for coming in, and for everyone else, uh, as always, this is normally Ty's role uh, right now, closing the show out. But subscribe, rate, all those, all those good things. And again, John, uh, thanks, thanks for coming on. You got it. Thanks, everyone. Uh, we will be back after game uh, one on Sunday. So we didn't know what time that was going to be the other day, but noon start uh, at Fiserv Forum in Milwaukee. And we'll be back Sunday night to wrap up game one. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone.
Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.